0: This difficulty and trial in our lives over the last 14 months what truly has brought us as the bible describes a peace that passes all understanding what truly has brought us that peace is is that the fact that our family has been grounded in the word of god that we know what god's word says about these things and and again we we're we're grieving and we're sad but But we take comfort in scriptures like what the Word of God says right here. Jesus says in John 14, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Uh, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. Passages like that that bring us hope in times like these. Um, That I know that my brother-in-law is with Jesus. Um, It's passages like in First or Second Thessalonians, actually First Thessalonians, chapter four. It says this: Paul writes. He says, "Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope." And that's how we are right now. Is because of God's word and the treasure that it is in our life, in Linda's life. Um, We do not grieve as the rest of men. We are anchored in Christ and we have the word of God to be thankful for. And uh, we just hope so much for all of you that as you go through the difficulties that you will face in your life, what we want for you is for you to be grounded in the word of God. That is one of the reasons why it's such a treasure. It was a treasure to us. It's a treasure to Linda. It is a treasure and was a treasure to Dan. And we love him so much and are glad that the Bible tells us that we will be with him again. And, uh, and so we thank you all for your prayers. We thank you for the love and the way that you have loved our family and will continue to love us. And uh, we just—I just felt today that God wanted me to share these things with you, and I hope that you'll be blessed and that you will just take um, take heart today to treasure God's word, and to know that the reason we're pointing you to the Word of God is because we know that it's going to be an anchor for you as you go through things in your life. And so, uh, God bless you. I love you, and we will we will talk to you soon. Bye bye.
1: That's one of our video blogs that um, we began doing this week as we started in on this journey, the adventure of God's Word. We didn't know when we started this series that Dan would go home to be with the Lord on Wednesday of this week. But we've been doing this video blog talking about the things about what God is showing us on a daily basis, not because God shows us more than He can show you in no way, But we do this so that you hear how God's word speaks to us individually. And as we walk on this journey, that was part of Bart's journey this week. And we want you to know that. We want you to sense that. But here's the truth that Bart just said. And what we said last week, which was if it was worth, if the Bible was worth people's lives, then surely it's worth our time. We could stand yesterday and do Dan's memorial service and Dan planned out that service and we could stand on the faith of this solid word that this word does not change. And if we could not stand yesterday, then we might as well close the doors and not read this book anymore. Because if this word is a myth and if it's not true, then the hope that dan has and the hope that we have that he is in the presence of the lord is not true but today we stand on the solid word of god and we continue this in this adventure and we continue to hear what god has to say in the fact that we can walk through these times and that it is our faith and it is our grounding in god's word that although we don't feel some days like going on we do and we take those steps what that passage did not say is it is not okay for us to grieve what it says is we don't grieve like the rest of men who have no hope we still experience loss and we still take steps into the next part of our journey but we don't grieve like the rest of men we still grieve but we don't grieve like others who have no hope. And the hope that we have is solidly placed in a book that today I want to show you is reliable. It's reliable. But if I didn't believe God's Word was living, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't have given my life to do this kind of ministry. I would be an absolute horrible salesman. One story I didn't tell yesterday at dan's memorial service was that dan at one point in his life sold kirby vacuum cleaners and evidently was pretty bad at it okay he didn't stay he didn't continue being a salesman of kirby vacuum cleaners and i'm telling you that i would be a horrible salesman for a product that i didn't believe in because if i can't believe in something then i would not sell it very well. If I didn't believe that there was great customer service on the other end, let's say I was selling something that I knew that once somebody bought it, they they would call back and nobody would ever service it or take care of it, I I wouldn't sell it because I wouldn't believe it. I can stand here today called of God to do this kind of ministry, to shepherd, to disciple, to pastor people in whatever way, shape, or form that takes place because I have a living hope otherwise i would just be an absolute sham quite honestly but i believe what god's word says and i hold on to it because i would be an absolute clown if it weren't for that i can read this i can believe this and if it were not true i can tell you this i would go out and i would party like there's no tomorrow because guys this is all there is So we might as well live it up and enjoy it just like it is. If I was an atheist, like a former neighbor of mine who was the actual webmaster of the whole atheist for Texas, uh, if that were me, if that's what I believed, then I would party hard because this is it. But this is not it, and my life is being held accountable for what I do in this life. And I'm held accountable for how I pass the baton on to my next generation. And I'm held accountable for how I pastor and how I shepherd and how I'm a husband. I'm held accountable for those things, not because I wish they were true, but because this book says that they're true. If not, I'd just party. But see, we have a living hope, and we have a word, and we have a standard that does not change. And we need to know it, and we need to live our lives by it that passage that bart read 1 thessalonians 4 we do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant brothers about those who are asleep we're doing these messages especially the first few messages in this series because we do not want you brothers and sisters to be uninformed about god's word the minutia and the details of history i've had three or four people say I love apologetics, and I love getting into the details. Well, you have pastors who don't necessarily love that portion. We'd rather talk about what God's Word means and what God's Word says and how it's going to get you from point A to point B and how it's going to help you walk through the trials and the difficulty. But today, we're taking a hard look at the details of Scripture and how we even got the Bible that we have. And can we believe and can we trust that it's accurate? And so this morning, the first point that I want to share with you is that God's Word is reliable in and beyond our experience. If God was just in our own experience, we might look at even the events of this week and say, where is God in the middle of all this? But God's Word says He is with us. Yea, though I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil we have the faith in order to walk through days like today not to avoid days like today do you see the difference between those two it is god give god gave dan the ability to walk into and embrace cancer to say you know what this is not the end and i can tell you what dan thought of more than he thought of himself because that's the way he lived his life he thought more of what's going to be my family's life when i'm not present with them anymore But Dan believed in God. And he believed in his church and how we're going to love them and take care of them. You see, God's Word is a foundation piece that helps us know that it's not just God in our experience, but it's beyond our experience. Do you realize, if our faith were only in our experience, and my life has been transformed by this book, so understand, I'm one of those who would say, i believe god's word because it has worked for me understand that i would say that and do say that but that's not enough if it was only about my experience then the buddhist could say i have followed buddhist teaching and my experience is that it has gotten me here and all things are good and one that the muslim could say i have followed the teachings of muhammad and i have found that they have worked for me you see our experience is not enough because anyone can say in their own experience that something might work but it is that god works through our experience and that this book is reliable in our experience but it's not just reliable in our experience it's reliable beyond our experience as well because here's the truth if you only trust in your experience you're going to believe certain parts of the bible and take out others you're going to believe what you want to believe because it's what it's based all upon your experience there are whole theologies out there that are based upon just how i experience things but god's word is more reliable just than our own experience you see the bible is a record of god working throughout history it's a book recorded by 40 different authors on three different continents in three different languages hebrew aramaic and greek you see god had the ability to tell a story through different people you see if he only muhammad is the story of one individual in his relationship with god the book of mormon is the story written by joseph smith about one person's story and how he heard from god confucius is about one story but the bible is 1600 years of God working with one theme, the redemption of humanity. You see, everything in the Bible, the Old Testament, all the stories and all the things, we'll talk about this at the very end of this message today, but all of it points towards Jesus Christ being the Redeemer. The New Testament points backward to Christ being the one who has created this opportunity for salvation for us. And I believe God's Word. It is reliable in my experience, but it's much more than that. It is reliable beyond my experience. The second thing I want us to see is that God's Word is reliable in its accuracy. We're going to spend more time here than really at any other part of the message because I want you to understand that you can stand with anyone toe to toe and know that God's Word is accurate and it is reliable because of its accuracy it's reliable in several different ways but I want to start off with second Peter chapter 1 verses 16 through 21 now how many law and order fans do I have in the room okay so this is very important we're getting close to lunch it's very important that I keep you awake so law and order fans okay if I go dun dun you'd know what I'm talking about you know we we love a law and order in our family matter of fact we we like it so much that sometimes Jennifer never knows whether she's seen an episode until about halfway through it. You know, she just sometimes doesn't recall what the first half was, and I have to tell her, yeah, we, we've seen this episode. But she, it's kind of fun because she kind of watches it over and over again. She doesn't even know that it's there. But law and order is reliable, or it, is, it relies upon witnesses. Our law and order system does. It relies upon if you have an eyewitness to a crime that has occurred, it will either help get that person off because someone saw what actually occurred or it will help convict them because of eyewitnesses and we have god's word that is reliable because we have literally the story of thousands of eyewitness accounts and one i want to show you is first peter chapter two or second peter chapter one verses 16 through 21 it says for we do not follow cleverly devised myths And that's what some people say the Bible is, by the way. We do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. It said, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well Pleased, Peter is recalling. Remember, Peter is a disciple. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he is recalling that moment when the disciples were present and they were on the Mount of Transfiguration is what the, the Bible calls it. And Jesus was, was there and a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. An audible voice from heaven. Would you remember that? I think you would. And I know I would remember that. Do you remember the eyewitness accounts of things that you've seen in your lifetime? Just a couple of weeks ago, we had a meteor that came over, and some people heard it, some people saw it, and there was a sonic boom. If you had seen that or heard that, you would remember it. I'll never forget being in the morning sky. I was out actually <coughs> hooking up a water hose. In our <coughs> excuse me, the, uh, the actual, let me get a drink. We'll do this. It is the allergies. Anybody else dealing with allergies? All right. Just a few years ago when uh, one of the space shuttles that, that disintegrated over Texas, I was in, it was in the morning and I had gone outside and I remember seeing that streak across the sky. And I'll never forget that because I was an eyewitness account of that. Peter is saying as an apostle, I'm an eyewitness account of what happened to Jesus Christ. And I heard the actual voice. He says, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place. God's word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. It is God's love letter to you and to me. And we need to be in it, and we need to read it. We need to know what he says. We need to know how he wants us to live this life. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Forty different authors of God's Word over 1,600 years. And my firm belief is that God did not put someone into a trance and as if take their hand as a puppet and write God's word. But God spoke to men and they wrote specifically what God wanted them to write. And that writing was cohesive and coherent across 1600 years with the same message of redemption. That's no accident. God's Word is reliable and it is accurate in its textual accuracy. As Bart talked about last week with the Old Testament and how the Masoretic text, that they took such precision to, re- to ra- rewrite them and to transfer them through the centuries and they would throw them out if they weren't perfect. And he talked about the Old Testament. I want to talk just a little bit about the New Testament. We do not have actual copies of the letters that Paul wrote. You'd say, oh no, that's not good for the for the reliability of God's word. Well, let, let's talk about that. Think about the Declaration of Independence. Alright? It was written about 234 years ago and is kept today in pristine, as pristine condition as it possibly can, between glass in a vacuum state and they take it out every couple of years and take care of it to make sure that it, we can keep that document as long as possible but imagine if you will back to the late 1700s when the declaration of independence was written and imagine that if it needed to go to every town so that they could they could see that the declaration was an actual document and imagine they would put it in their saddlebags and they'd carry it from town to town and each town would take it out and read it and they probably had barbecue chicken like from pit barbecue and they would have like a barbecue sauce on their hands and they would wrap it back up and put it in their saddlebags and take off to the next town and if it had gone to every town over the last 200 years do you think we would have it in the condition that we have it in today? The answer is no. But let me tell you what happened with God's word with the New Testament as these gospels were written, as these letters to the different churches were written, they would go from church to church and it'd be like this. We'd come in and we'd get a letter from Paul at, at at EVC, okay? They would be the Saginawians, I think, instead of the, Laotian, the Laodiceans or uh, or Colossians. So we'd be the Saginawians. and so so it, it would come to us, and we we would write it out because we would want to pass it on over to the first Babisaginians. And so, so we would write it out and we'd put it here and it'd go to the first Babisaginians and then it would go to the Decaturians and then it would go over to uh, the Kellerians and uh, then it would go to the Northridge and that's a long word, so we don't even want to go to, to those people. But, but it would go from church to church and if it was on papyrus or if it was on paper or if it was on parchment really thin paper guess what would happen would disintegrate and that's the way god's word was being consumed by those early churches so we don't have the original documents i'm sorry but let me show you that that does not prove that we do not have reliable text because what we have is we have the document we have third and fourth generation text So that's about 130 years from when the text was actually written by John, by Matthew, by Mark, by Paul, by the writers of the New Testament. We have third and fourth generation. In other words, they were copied and then copied again and then copied again and then we have the third and fourth generation of that. Does that make sense? Now, that seems like, okay, maybe that's a little questionable. Well, let's talk about that. Caesar's Gallic Wars is a history of caesar that if we did not have caesar's gallic wars we wouldn't have a history of caesar everybody heard of caesar everybody know that caesar exists do you know that scholars don't doubt the history of caesar's gallic wars and remember that i told you we have documents that go 130 years past when the original document was created third and fourth generation caesar's gallic wars 950 years from when it was created no scholars doubt it. Nine hundred fifty years. Yet this book, God's word, has been under attack since it was written, sought to be destroyed. That's no accident. Satan has his scholars and his ability to try to to tear it down. But it has stood the test of time because of the accuracy and the type of things that I'm showing you and telling you today. Now I know that most of you woke up this morning, and over your bowl of Cheerios, you took out. Homer's Iliad. Okay, I know that you did. You, you grabbed it out and, and you took out that classic piece of literature and you read Homer's Iliad and Odyssey. Okay, did you know that the closest that we can get to the actual text of Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, again, scholars don't doubt it, 2,200 years. That's as close as the text that we can get. 2,200 years. And what did we say about the New Testament? 130 years from people who took great care to pass it on, and we have the third and fourth generation. Just 100 to 130 years. What I'm saying to you is it is textually accurate. Here's the process that the New Testament church went through in order to get us to the 27 books that we have in the New Testament. 39 in the old, 27 in the new. That is 66 altogether, 39 and 27. The 27 books that we have in the New Testament are written all by authors who were either apostolic, they were apostles themselves, or they were seen as having apostolic authority. Now what does that mean? It means that they were alive during Jesus' lifetime and people saw whoever wrote the books of the New Testament to, be, have, or to have apostolic authority. Who are the writers of the New Testament? Well, Matthew, Mark, Mark, does not give his own account he gives peter's account a direct account from peter the apostle luke was traveling in at times with the band of jesus but also was paul's traveling companion and literally luke who did i say peter i meant luke if i didn't say luke i meant luke luke is traveling with paul and when paul goes into prison we believe that luke went back into the area around galilee and did individual interviews With all kinds of folks who had seen eyewitness accounts. And that's the reason Luke is so incredibly detailed, and also he was a physician who had incredible detail. And Luke writes Luke and he writes Acts. We have Matthew, one of the apostles. We have Paul, considered an apostle by Jesus himself. We have Mark, we have James, the half brother of Jesus. We have Jude, the half brother of Jesus. We have John. Who gives us a a large part of the New Testament as well the first test for the New Testament church and keep in mind that they didn't put all these 27 books all together until about 330 AD and the reason was because the church was growing and developing and the church itself was bringing accuracy and reliability to the text that we have today as Bart shared several of the stories after the Dark Ages or through the Dark Ages, and the cost that it cost people that we might have God's Word, but the first was was an author, the first test of whether a book would make it into the New Testament was was the author an apostle or did they have apostolic authority? The second test was, does the document agree with the whole of the Bible itself, with the whole canon of faith? Does it does it agree with the whole Old Testament? Does it fall in line with this story of redemption, or does it seem to take off in some different areas in all of the books that we have were found not only to be apostolic written by people who were alive in Jesus' day and have apostolic authority but also people who understood that it was in line with the story of redemption and then the third test was this: was it accepted by the early church? did the church together as a whole come and understand that these were the messages that were the life and ministry of Jesus Christ and how they would live this life out. You see, we need to understand and be able to give an account for how we even have the Scripture that we have. If it didn't fit those three tests, it didn't make it into the New Testament. And so from 330 on, we have together the canon that the church agreed upon that this was the New Testament canon and it would be closed at that point so that's the textual accuracy that we see that the bible is accurate but it's accurate in another way as well it is accurate in its prophecy do you realize that there are 300 prophecies that speak specifically of jesus christ that were fulfilled in the person of jesus not only where he was born but who he would be and how he would be crucified. Psalm 22, if you look at that, it shows you <clears throat> that Jesus was going to be crucified on a cross, that his garments were going to be cast lots, that they would cast lots for his garments, that he would be crucified with thieves, that he, that his side would be pierced and blood and water would flow from his heart. And it did all of this before Roman crucifixion even existed. Psalms 22 prophesies about Jesus Christ and how he will die for our redemption before crucifixion had ever been thought of by the Romans. How does it do that? Because God was there and God was present in these writings. Not only is it that it's accurate in its prophecy, it's also accurate in its science. Now, the Bible is not a science textbook. In other words, if you have a problem with your computer today, you don't turn to First and Second Timothy, and Timothy will walk you through how you can work and get your computer up and running again, okay? That is not the purpose of God's Word. It is the story of redemption. If you have a problem with your car today, the Bible will tell you to pray over that vehicle, but it will not tell you how to fix it. So it is not a manual in order to do that. It is a manual in, to enable you to live this life. But the Bible is accurate in its science. Let me show you this. This is fascinating to me. You remember that before, uh, in many years ago, most scientists, and, and again, science never changes, does it, right? Science, oh, yeah. Well, how many of you would like to be seen by a doctor who was trained in the 1930s? Anyone? Okay. No, nobody here? You would, Scotland? All right, well, all right, I, he's waiting right outside, and he will cut you with no anesthetic. That's what he will do. But you see, science has evolved. Now, scientists don't really like to think about that or talk about that, but the science that they once believed, they don't necessarily believe. I had a dentist once who didn't believe in anesthesia, and trust me, he's dead today, and I'm glad, okay? (laughs) Because I I don't want that dentist anymore around me. I'm glad that science has progressed, aren't you, to a large degree? So, science once thought scientists once thought that the world was what flat until a man named Copernicus and Galileo came along and they realized that the world was round if only they had read Isaiah written thousands of years before Copernicus or Galileo Isaiah 40 verse 22 says God sits above the circle of the earth the people below seem like grasshoppers to him another translation of that says he sits above the sphere of the earth you see even at a time if the bible were not accurate at that time when the science of the day said that the earth is flat i believe the biblical writers had they been concerned about that would have written out of the bible the actual science accuracy which says the world is a sphere not only that science and medical technology has increased there was an issue um during the the dark ages called the uh, bubonic plague and doctors excuse me doctors in all their wisdom said this that in the bubonic plague that you would bring everyone in together and what happened because it was contagious it continued to pass till nearly half the world's population was gone science thought they should do one thing when actually they should have isolated. Like Leviticus, chapter 13, verse 4 says, says this, if the shiny spot on the skin is white but does not appear to be more than skin deep and the hair has not turned white, okay, settle down. If you have white hair in here, you do not have leprosy. That's okay. If it's not turned white, the priest is to what? Isolate the affected person for seven days. Before the bubonic plague, if they had only read their bibles they would see the scientific understanding that isolation is what you should do when people are sick and the bible further goes on to say if after seven days they're still sick you shall isolate them for another seven days see the bible is scientifically accurate it is historically accurate another way is it is archaeologically accurate The Book of Mormon today, if you were to to read it and to look at it as it is a supposed understanding that Jesus visits the North American continent, translated by Joseph Smith as he read Golden Plates and translated over a sheet which no one else saw the Golden Plates. He translated to someone else this account of Jesus visiting the North American continent. But you cannot find one of the places that Joseph Smith talks about. It's not archaeologically evident. It's not accurate. But the Bible, every place that the Bible mentions was actually there. The towns that Paul went to are there. The streets, the places that Jesus walked are there. The towns and places where David served, where Solomon served, are actual towns. The towns that Moses conquered, that Joshua went into, Jericho and Ai, are actually there. And archaeology backs up the historical reliability of this text. No other text in history, no other piece of literature has ever gone under the scrutiny that the Bible does and still the Bible proves its own accuracy because of history. But it's not only historically accurate, but it's accurate because others believe it as well. God's word is reliable in its detail. God's word is reliable in its detail. It is not only accurate due to what other people or due to what Christians and people who wrote the Bible would say. We could say at that point that people who who wrote the Bible, yeah, they're going to believe that because they're Christians, but non-christian historians also back up what the bible says there was a man named josephus in the first century uh, after christ and he wrote what's called the antiquities of the jews and he writes about john the baptist jesus christ and james the brother of jesus josephus a non-christian historian writes about this roman historians named uh Cornelius, who wrote The Annals, Suetonius, who wrote Life of the Caesars, a Roman governor named Pliny the Younger. Okay, parents, here's a here's a thought. Don't name your kids Pliny, okay? Don't name them Pliny, don't name them Winey, and don't name them hiney Okay, so th- those are names that should be not allowed for parents to name their children, okay? So but Pliny the Younger wrote a book called The Epistles. And it talks about Jesus in its accuracy so the bible is accurate it's accurate in its archaeology it's accurate in what it says to us it's accurate in the fact that you realize that what god's word says about consequences are real i discovered this just a couple weeks ago as i was driving in north richmond hills with a cell phone in a school zone And I realized that the police officers in North Richland Hills believe what they post, that cell phone use is prohibited in a school zone, okay? To the tune of $227, I, wow, okay, I discovered that just with one witness, there was only one witness to my account, to my charge, but his word stood, and I failed. So don't be on a cell phone. Don't have it in your hand. Don't have it on a Bluetooth. Don't pass go. Do not collect $200. Don't do any of those things when you're in a school zone because there's consequences. God's word is reliably accurate. And when we do not live in the way that it calls us to, there are consequences in our life. The final thing I want to share with you is simply this. God's word is reliable in its truth. The passage that Sam read earlier was spoke to that in Psalm 19. The precepts of the Lord are true and righteous all together. This is God's living word. It makes a difference in our life when we engage it. We see how he wants us to walk. We see the lamp unto our feet, the light unto my path. Psalms third or Proverbs 30, verse 5 says. Every word of God proves true. Every word of God proves true. Psalms 27 was a passage that I accepted Christ when I was a teenager. And I played basketball. And Psalms 27 was a passage that I read before every basketball game that I ever played. Just to show you, I read it literally hundreds of times as i was growing up but it became really one of my favorite passages i loved it because it said the lord is my light and my salvation whom shall i fear i've told you some of my story before that fear was something that always came upon me fear to say something to to a friend about my faith fear to 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 believe that god could actually save me that that i didn't have to make it on my own there was a lot of fears that i had to face as a young person, but the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When I read these words, it didn't give me strength to to make more points in a basketball game. It That wasn't about that. It was about, I would almost get sick every time I was getting ready to go play. something about the competition and all the. But I read this, and it calmed my heart. I read parts of this that I didn't understand, to be quite honest with you. I had a mother and father who loved me, and I got to verse 10, and it says, for my mother and father have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in, and I got to tell you, I didn't have a clue what that meant until almost three years ago, my mom died, and I understood that passage for the very first time. She never never forsook me when she was alive she wasn't always with me. And it made sense. I went, oh, maybe David was experiencing the loss. And maybe he understood that for the very first time. Do you see how you can read something a thousand times, but then you read it and it's as if God goes because of some other circumstance in your life. Oh, I get it. The truth of God's word. God's word is reliable in its truth. You see, Muhammad wrote the Koran, Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormon, the teaching of Confucius by Confucius, but not the Bible. The writers of the Bible were some were prophets, some were kings, some were runaway murderers. Moses, you remember him? Some were fishermen, doctors. Some were just ordinary people. You know why? Because it was written for ordinary people to read. It was written for us to understand that if God can use those kind of people, He can use us as well. God's Word is true. You see, the Old Testament points to Jesus in all the stories and the things that it says. The ark points to the fact that God wants to save humanity through wood the cross God wants to save humanity by saving us because of Jesus the ark pointed to Jesus himself the law helps us understand that we can't make this on our own and we must have a savior the sacrificial system it's hard to read Leviticus is tough I understand Deuteronomy it gets a little dry it gets a little hard to see these these sacrifices of animals i mean and how intricate and how they're supposed to to do all these different things do you realize that all the sacrificial system points to is that jesus christ will one day wipe out that sacrificial system and replace it with his own blood so anytime you see the sacrificial system in the old testament it points to christ the tabernacle and temple points to how to keep a vibrant walk with God by continuing to sacrifice and going to the temple, pointing to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ to worship Him in truth. All of these things point. The whole Bible, one story of redemption, 40 different authors, 1,600 years, three different continents, three different languages. The word that you have is reliable. You can trust it. And my experience is that it's true. I want you to have that same experience, but you won't have it unless you read it. One person said to me this week, should we really read the whole Bible cover to cover? Yes. It's not just for pastors. It's so that we can live, so that we can see these things and live them out. So I challenge you, join us in this walk through this journey as we do this over the next several weeks make it a habit for your whole life let's pray Father we thank you for this day and for this opportunity to be here today together we are a community of faith that loves you and God there may be some who are here today they don't have a relationship with you Lord I know this is a detailed message and I know Father, for for some it just goes, do I really need to know all of that? And God, I just pray that you would speak to them and say, this is how much I love you. You may not care to know all the accuracy of why, but I love you just the same. I came and died for you. So God, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts, that we know that we can trust your word, and that we will take a stand on it today and we'll live our faith out in front of others not always knowing the answers but always being willing to seek you it's my prayer in Jesus' name is really pretty easy Dan's life was built upon this book it's easy to do a service like that because his life was his ser- it was his message all we have to do is point to it. Jesus is the same way. His life is this message. All we have to do is point to it. All we have to do is read it. So we challenge you over these next few weeks to read with us. If you're not a fan of EVC on Facebook, we really encourage you to go there because here's what we're desiring, is that as even as God speaks to you, that you'd put your statements up there as well as we're doing uh, as, as your pastors. The reason we're doing that is not to say that we know more than you. It's just simply to say, this is what God's saying to us through this process. What does he want to say to you? That's the reason community, life groups are so important is because God is like, it's, he's like his spirit is a flashlight to different parts of the text that he wants to say. And it's not until we're in a community that we really can truly understand that. I hope you'll join us on this journey. That God's word is reliable enough for you to stand on it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. And thank you for your word. Thank you that even this week people have come to know you in a whole new way as they put their lives into yours. Father, I pray for everyone who's here, if there's someone who does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that they would trust you enough to know that your word is true, that Jesus, you said you are the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father but through you. There is no other door. All doors do not lead to you. All roads do not lead to you. Lord, when we say that, our culture says that we're narrow-minded. We're just following you. So God, I pray that people would be able to live that out this week. That we would hear from you. And that, Father, we would in the coming weeks hear stories of how your living word is flowing out into our lives. Father, may your stories be our story. In Jesus' name.